for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Here comes episode 242 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, I have a special interview with Jeff Kaufman, creator of many good things, including graphic novels and now an ongoing series, who's reviving his big city comics imprint. And he's got a lot to talk about and has a request for everybody to help support his new ongoing comic, which we get into and talk about during the episode. We discuss how he enjoys making comics and what kinds of things he has in mind for the future. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he has to say. As always, there's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome back to the podcast, Jeffrey Kaufman, creator of many good things, including Scary Fails Now, Gabriel Tempest, Broken Souls, the completion of Bayou Bound, the first volume, and another one that's kind of related to some of these, Tainted, as well as Horror and other good things, with Angel Falling, I think was one of them. Have I got that title right, Jeff? Yeah, a lot of my nonsense is that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds well, like a lot of my stuff, including the children's book, Chip and Goro. That's right. So I, I think we have a lot on there. I like that book, honestly. I got it. I saw you at a convention like about a year ago, and I picked it up, and I really liked it. I thought it was a real challenge to write a kid's book because you have to keep them turning the pages, which means you've got to keep them engrossed. And I thought you did a really good job with that. Hey, you got this kid to turn the pages, which was something good. So good stuff like that. There's some developments with you that we want to talk about. Well, why don't we do the important stuff first about what needs to be done about you've got a deadline that's going to have to be met. Do you want to talk about that so people can get busy on that? Oh, yeah. Well, if someone got the preview guide, they'll notice that Big City Comic Studios has gone back to publishing, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So we're not relying on other people to put us out and deadlines and everything else. And now it's our own deadlines. Mm-hmm. In the preview guide they should have for October shipment will be the first issue of Scary Fails, Tesla and Hyde, mm-hmm. about basically Tesla and Hyde are 28 years old, living in 2016 Las Vegas, mm-hmm. where they hunt the lies, which are all the fairy tales that we think are true, which you know are, are kind of a load of nonsense because two of the dwarves are drug dealers in Mexico. <laughs> Santa, Santa's a, a sweatshop in Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. So they go after the worst of the worst of these guys. Mm-hmm. I always like your writing because you always take things in a different direction than I'm used to. So I like those kinds of things. You put a little modern spin on some of this stuff, which is always good. So that's the first one that's coming out. That's what, October? Yeah, that's October, and that's with the uh, and our graphic novel for Scary Fails mm-hmm. that was drawn by Rob Doria. Mm-hmm. We're revisiting a character we did a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and it's kind of given a nice closing that we didn't have earlier on. Mm-hmm. It was the opportunity to take a vampire character, and basically he's, there's a lot of self-loathing there, but he's also a criminal prosecutor, mm-hmm. so he's not quite sure where he's going to go with life. Uh, he was raised Catholic, so he can't kill himself, mm-hmm. so it's a fun little ride through the 100 pages we take him. Now, there's a deadline on this, right? This is for the October, the previews oh, yeah. is about October. So people, if they want to order it, and we need to get it, the ordering done real soon, right? Yeah, well, the funny thing about the stores, which I fully understand, they only have so much shelf space. Mm-hmm. So for like independents like us, Image, a lot of other companies, we have to go out and make sure that the readers actually go to their retailers and make sure they put them in their pull list. Because if not... Then I get yelled at, come New York Comic Con, and then mm-hmm. MegaCon, and everyone says, well, I went to my store, but I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. And I've got this weird concept. I cannot force the stores to buy my books. Mm-hmm. I wish I could. Mm-hmm. A lot of great stores out there, and then there are a lot of stores that just don't have the space to be able to put the independents out there. Mm-hmm. And I fully understand that. I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to even try to figure out what everybody wanted 
and not be holding books at the end of the month. Yeah, I was in this process a little while back. There's a comic company by the name of Action Lab was putting out a reprint of the Venture series by Judd Winnick, which I really loved. And I had lost my copies, and so they were putting them as individual issues. And I would gotten three issues at a certain store, which shall remain nameless. And I went there, and I said to them, I said, oh, boy, where's number four? It's, I know it's out this week. And I looked, and there was no sign of it. And I went to the guy behind the counter. I said, what happened to Venture number four? And he said, well, you know, we got so many requests for Secret War that we, we couldn't really do any more about that, so we had to drop that book. And I went, no, I said, I got three issues of this. How am I going to get number four? You know, and they said, well, you know, the demand was such that for Secret War, we couldn't do that. You know, that's a very hard thing. I like to call that October 2015 was when uh, Marvel just loaded the stores with quality product. But at the same time, store owners just didn't have the space for anything else. Mm-hmm. And any book that got shipped in October of last year just took a beating. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in shock when I saw the numbers. And I would call the stores who would normally order a lot of the books. Mm-hmm. And they said, Jeff, you know, the fact was is we just ran out of money. Mm-hmm. And that's the tough thing. So you have to make sure if you're a reader and you really want to see a book and don't hope that your store ordered it, because what can also happen is somebody takes the last copy mm-hmm. and then, you know, you don't get it. And then you wind up yelling at me at Megacon, which I promise I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And see, the interesting thing to me is you shouldn't you be doing that anyway. I mean, you know, when I place an order through a comic store, I always fill out a request you know, they give you those little request forms to fill out. And I always fill that. In fact, I actually go through and mark my previews with little stickers to go to the right to the page where I've, there's something I want. And they don't always get it right, granted. Sometimes they'll be off. Maybe I'm off one or they're off one. But I don't necessarily get the stuff that I always want. But I want to at least get my name in there to get some of this stuff. And honestly, there's a lot of great product out there that's not from the big companies. And, you know, I always enjoyed your book. I remember sitting at New York Comic Con and reading Angel Falling which I thought was terrific. And I sat there and said, wow, this is a great book. And right in the middle of, uh, you know, sitting on the floor in the middle of New York Comic Con up in, in uh, the state of New York, I was thinking, that is just a great story. I was just lost. I, was, I forgot I was at New York Comic Con for a little while. So it was just a great thing. So I think what people should do is, you know, if, you do, if you're not doing this anyway, if there's books that are not necessarily going to be highly ordered, be sure to put your name in for those things. And I think that uh, Scary Fails is one that we want to make sure people get into. Now, do you happen to remember what the pages on the previews where this is located? Wow. Um, well, we're under the big city section, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to remember the exact page number, but if you just go alphabetically to big city, you'll right. get it. Right. That's you know, good The cool thing about that is going back to publishing again, we have 10 issues of Scary Fails in the can already, so it'll be like the first one through five of volume one will come out, and then the second volume of one through five will come out again, but it'll be 10 straight months so that people will be able to depend on a book and retailers will know that the book will come out on time. Mm -hmm. And that's the goal of it all, to make sure that we have two books that ship every month Mm -hmm. and to make sure they're on time, you know, because it can be really difficult if you try to keep ahead. It's almost impossible unless you've, for the year before, been putting it all together. I mean, like, for example, we have 15 books in the can already mm-hmm. that are supposed to come out. And Scary Fails is good till next Comic-Con, cool. which I have never been that far ahead. But I realized if I was going to take off this endeavor and to do everything possible, that there was the only way to do that is to give the people what they want. And that's books they want to read and make sure they're delivered on the store when they order them. Well, I always think that your stories are interesting. And I think that the artwork is really interesting, too. You work with a variety of artists. And they always come up with really great art, I always think. Very engaging, you know, visually as well as a great story. So, you know, it's fun to me that you go through and find all these different folks to work with to make good stories. And, I, you know, to me, I think that's something worth following. There are a lot of people who I go after when I discover their stuff. And one of the purposes of this podcast is to get the word out about what I consider to be quality material. So that's why we're talking today is to make sure that people get the order in. Do you remember what the deadline is that they have to get things in in order to get scary fails in October? Well, I believe most stores have to order by the third week, third Thursday of the month. So I think it's this Thursday. I was just at a store in Orlando and I just walked in because – whether I like it or not, I read too. You mm-hmm. know, I read about 60 to 70 books a month. And I realized I had missed uh, Spider-Man last month mm-hmm. and walked in and got – I was fortunate that there was a great store in Orlando that I went to mm-hmm. and picked up this month and last month of uh, slot Spider-Man because I just missed it. And I just see that Mary Jane is now Iron Spider. Got to, got, 
I'm kind of interested in seeing what that's about. But at the same time, I kind of miss the Peter Parker who couldn't afford his rent. Yeah, well, see, that that was the basic real Peter Parker to me. That was one of the things that drew people to the character was the fact that he did have to struggle so much. You know, unlike Tony Stark who was rolling in dough, he had to avoid the landlord so he wouldn't get asked for the rent, which I always loved. I always thought that was oh. a great part of the character. Now he's Bruce Wayne, basically. Well, what happens is is that they take a character for a couple months or even a year or two in another direction, and then they eventually bring him back. And I can understand the purpose of that. I remember – wasn't they – I always butcher the name. A Magdaman, where they took the characters and they combined Marvel and DC characters yeah, together amalgam. for like a month. Amalgam. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, do I think Peter Parker is going to stay Tony Stark forever? No, I hope not. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting read. I do miss my Peter Parker a little bit. Mm-hmm. But at the same time – as long as I find something interesting in it, I think it's worth reading. Mm-hmm. It's not like those books where I pay $4 for it and you burn through it and you look at it and you go, wow, there was nothing in here mm-hmm. that I appreciated at all. Mm-hmm. And that's something I can't live with. That's why when I do these books, mm-hmm. we really spend a lot of time at least smacking your face three or four times an issue. And that's what I look for. So you've got only a few days after this podcast posts to get your scary fails order in. So be sure to look it up. Get the previews out. Look alphabetically and look under Big City Comics, and you'll see it there. Now, it's the single issue as well as a collection, you were saying? Well, what it is is this, is that we have the first 10 issues in the can, and we're doing it in two volumes Mm. because retail would rather do it that way than have issue six and issue seven. So we're going to go one through five, and then we're going to go one through five again. Mm So people like their first issue comic books, and it doesn't really matter because I write in five-issue story arcs anyway. Mm. It's about a 110-page story over five issues, and it's a cool thing. Plus, the month after that, we actually come up with the first issue of Killing Mars, Mm. which is the sequel to Terminal Alice and Horror, which Mm -hmm. people have been really lighting us up about. And I've been really enjoying the hell out of writing that book. Now, you combine those two in this book, right? Well, Jacob Morris was this real great guy to write. He gets mm-hmm. downsized from the CIA except he has $100,000 of alimony and bills. Mm-hmm. Well, the first time I wrote them, people really loved them. But since I wasn't doing sequels, every convention, people come back, are you writing more Jacob Morris? Are you writing more Jacob Morris? And I was embarrassed to say, no, no, you know, I'm too busy doing this, this, and this. Then when it came time to publish again, the thought was, well, what if I did this? But the idea is somebody took out a $5 million contract on Jacob Mars, and he has to pay the five women from Terminal Alice, these five female contract killers, protection money to keep them alive. Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun sticking him in this environment with five very lethal, angry, psychotic women. And it's just – it writes itself. Mm-hmm. So when I go to Starbucks and I'm sitting down there laughing, the baristas all know what I'm laughing at. Mm-hmm. Very good, because I, I like the books. I'm going to enjoy seeing that. I can't wait. Now, do you know when that's going to hit? Killing Mars, the first issue of Killing Mars is November. Mm-hmm. So in next month's preview guide, you'll have the second issue of Scary Fails and the first issue of Killing Mars. Okay. And they all have Francesco has agreed to do all of our covers. So there's this great, beautiful continuity when you look at the books and you see them on the shelves. And I've always been a great fan of his. And for the last three or four years, I've had him do our covers and he just never disappoints. It's always this very striking, no matter whether it's fairy tales or contract killers, he seems to get it. Mm-hmm. He understands what it takes for a cover to just jump out at you. Mm-hmm. And I've always been fond of his, and I'm lucky to be able to work with Federico Zumel on these cases and the fantastic Jim Brown, who colors all of our books. And I'm fortunate because with his schedule at IDW, he fits ours in, but at the same time, it also kind of make sure that no matter what I put out, it always has that great feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful for guys like Jim and Federico and Rob Doria and Francesco and Kevin West and all the guys over the years who have done so much for us to even if my writing sucks, you know, I'm fortunate that I have great artwork. Mm-hmm. So. Well, they do a great job. I always enjoy the artwork. I think you do a good job of choosing artists to work with and the story all just is greatly done. So let's talk a little bit, because I want to get into the whole notion of why you went back to Big City Comics. But before we do that, because that's kind of an inside baseball thing that some folks may not be interested in, I want to talk a little bit about the books that are coming out. When I saw you recently at Tampa Bay Comic Con, you had the first volume of Bayou Bound. And I had seen the first, like a preview edition of that at a con a couple months back. Do you want to talk about that book? Because it's got a real interesting concept that I like. 
Well, Bayou Bound was our last graphic novel. And like I said, the problem was because there was such a great dump between Marvel and DC last October, Mm -hmm. most people didn't get an opportunity to get it. And I've probably sold, I'd say, seven times as much as I sold across this planet over the last six months (laughs) in conventions. It's because people just really wanted that book so badly. And Joss Whedon has always been – I remember watching the Buffy series and Firefly and Angel. And I go over those series over and over and over again because what I loved about it – and people probably didn't get what he did in those. What he did was he took the main character and he made that guy the straight guy Mm -hmm. and then surrounded him with these fantastic supporting characters. And I wanted to see if I could do that where I made the main character kind of you know vanilla and surrounded him with a lot of chaos. Mm -hmm. And – that's what Bayou Bound was. It was about a 22-year-old guy who got stuck in Wildwood, Louisiana, where he's now the deputy sheriff for all the weird supernatural stuff that happens there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's getting stalked by a ghost he had sex with. His best friend's a werewolf he smokes dope with. He's in love with an immortal uh, waitress. I can imagine I had that opportunity of being on like a full season of Buffy or Angel, and I think that's what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. And people, when they read it, they get that same feeling as they're going over it because you love that angel character you love that buffy character but it was really the xanders and the spikes and the willows and all these great characters he surrounded with him that you really remember even more than the main characters mm-hmm. now where is bayou bound these days i was able to pick up a trade from you at uh, tampa bay is that available now is that going to be through diamond you're going to be able to get this so i think diamond sold out mm-hmm. so i don't know if they have any copies left but there's always copies on amazon there's copies at big city I mean, if they really wanted, they could go to the website at bigcity.com or they could go to Amazon. I see copies everywhere. Or if they're in New York Comic Con, which is kind of cool because I'm going to be doing a signing at World of Comics, Bill Hanley's, which is kind of cool. Mm. Being able to do that in this classic store in New York the day before Comic Con. So that's <laughs> New York Comic Con, which is it's kind of like one of those dreams to be able to do because you really feel like you arrived when you're in one of these classic stores. Very cool. Very, very cool. Well, I enjoyed the part that I read. Like I said, it's been only a couple of days since Tampa when we're recording this, so I haven't had a chance to read everything yet. But what I've read of it really grabbed me, and I really love the, the basic concept of it. You've got a trade-out of that. Is there going to be more of Bayou Bound, or is that the end of what you've got for now? Well, what I'm trying to do is this. I learned the first time I published, you know, I was putting out five books a month, and I realized one thing. As a writer, you can only write so much great stuff a month. Mm-hmm. You could write a lot of mediocre stuff, but stuff that you really love and you have time to cultivate and time to really grasp and go back and clean up and do what you need to do. I think if I go over more than basically 44 pages a month that I'm pushing it and I don't want to give the readers less. Mm -hmm. The idea of Big City Now is the slogan's pretty simple, publishing with purpose. That means that every book has to matter. I never want you to put down a book. You might not have liked the story. But I promise you, you'll remember it. Mm-hmm. So even if it's not your thing, you're going to remember four or five parts. I remember somebody came up to me and they were saying – they were talking about a book. I believe it was uh, By You Bound. Mm-hmm. And they're going, well, I'm not into fantasy or anything else like that. I said, can you tell me six things that happened in the book? Because he had read it like six months ago. And he gave me all six. Mm-hmm. And I said, when was the last time you remembered what you really read? Mm-hmm. Wow. And he was like, you know, I didn't think about that. But, yeah, I did like that. And it bothered me. And I liked it. And it bothered me. And I said, well, I can't guarantee you're going to love something. But I can't promise you you're going to remember it. And not in a kind of, you know, like here's a severed penis. But in a, wow, that was a cool part of the story. Mm-hmm. Now, so, talk to me about these other books, too. You've got two trades that are somewhat related. Tainted, and there's this wonderful phrase I have to read off the back of the book. It says, if Law and Order was about vampires, it would be called Tainted. Yeah, yeah. Tainted was one of those things. It was weird. And I'm embarrassed to say this because I talk about this all the time because I I don't think I mentioned it in the book. I wrote Tainted in the middle of the night from 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning for six straight weeks. (laughs) And I wish I could tell you I remembered writing it. (laughs) It was the most bizarre thing to edit that book because I edited it a year after I wrote it. And going through it, I was like going, did I write this? I know I wrote it, and my wife, who was editing it too at the time, she read it. She goes, I don't recognize you in the book. And I said, what do you think of the story? She goes, no, I love it. I just don't recognize you. And I think sometimes you have these out-of-body experiences. I mean, not like I was doing peyote or anything, Mm -hmm. but I wrote this from this place where I was really into who these characters were. 
And I guess I got lost in it. And I look at it now and I kind of laugh because the artwork is just tremendous. I mean, Criss Cross Williams just does – I know he does Flash and JLA and everything else. But what he did in this fantasy horror genre was amazing. The vampires were perfect. The werewolves were perfect. You know, members of the Totem, which is this group who were given powers and if they use them, you know, their parents will go up and down whether – they're in purgatory and their parents will so will either rise or fall. I mean, everything moves so beautifully. And of course, Jim Brown colored it like, God forbid, I have a life insurance policy out on him. If he dies, more company's going to get paid because I don't see how I could ever do a book without him. Wow. But it's just, like I said, I've, I've been very fortunate to work with some unbelievably talented people. And he did such a good job in Tainted that I look back and I go, wow, and Chris Williams, you know, it's unusual for Chris to be able to do a long-term run. So for him to do 100 pages of an independent graphic novel, there's an insanity to that, and I was very fortunate that he was able to make the time. Well, the interesting thing, too, is there's a character in Tainted that has his own little book now. It's Gabriel Tempest, a vampire prosecutor, and he's got a book called uh, Broken Souls. So which one came first? Was it Tainted or was it Gabriel Tempest? How did that work? Well, believe it or not, Tainted was the reason Rob Doria blackmailed me into doing Tempest. <laughs> and, and I say blackmail because I don't really like revisiting characters that I created in the original version of Big City when we were publishing five books a month. Because it reminds me of days that were just so hard and that I look back at that almost took the love for comics away from me. Mm. And... He just said to me, well, Jeff, you released Tainted, so you can do this. And it was hard for me to argue with him because we had left this character dangling. Mm -hmm. And I was so sick about this because I used to be a criminal defense attorney. And I love this character so much because the law was accurate. For example, Daredevil. Daredevil is supposed to be this fantastic attorney. Mm -hmm. But the problem is he's never written by somebody who ever really understands the law. Mm -hmm. So he like soft shoes it to the courtroom and then he – does something weird and then he leaves Mm -hmm. and the fact is this is that daredevil should be the best legal mind on the planet with his abilities Mm -hmm. and i love that gabriel tempest who has these abilities uses them in a way that obviously works for me so it was a a lot of fun but the vampires in my book i didn't want them to cheat the system Mm -hmm. while i loved buffy and angel and all that other stuff i didn't like the idea that they were able to get away with not having to feed meaning take a life, mm. that they were like, oh, well, I drink rat's blood now, or I drink, or I get my blood from the blood bank. Mm. I wanted you to root for the serial killer, and <laughs> I think I accomplished it because people come to me and say, I love this guy, and I'm going, wow, you love a guy who has to kill two people a month? And it kind of has that Dexter quality to it because mm. I originally started writing it at the same time Dexter came about, and there's some interesting parallels between the two characters, except – My character has remorse. He has sorrow for it. He doesn't want to continue living, which is the difference between a narcissist and a a homicidal maniac and everything else like that, because very rarely are they willing to give up their own lives because they know they're wrong inside. Mm -hmm. And that's who Gabriel Tempest is. And I I feel sick for him sometimes because I can't imagine having to make a choice like that just to get to the next day. So one of the things I enjoy about your writing and, and as you're talking about them, you see these characters as real. They're in your head living there, and you're telling stories that these people are actually doing, as far as you're concerned, it seems like. Is, is that a fair statement? Yeah, they exist in me. When I write for somebody, there's a phrase I use. If I can see it, I can sell it. Hmm. And I really do believe that, because as I'm writing these characters, if I can't feel them, I feel like I'm talking to a jury sometimes, hmm. and that I'm trying to convince six people that this story happened. Hmm the way I'm telling it, the way it happened. And I look at these characters, and God, they're so much a part of me, whether it be Jacob Mars or Gabriel Tempest or the teenagers and the women. I mean, like in Bayou Bound, the character Tara is the ghost who's basically stalking the main character because she had sex and she loves him. And she doesn't understand why that didn't mean more. And every time I write her, I feel what she's feeling. And there's an honesty to that. And I'm not saying... Every writer needs to do that. It just so happens that's the way I do it. And whether it's some weird form of empathy that I have running through me, for example, Peter Parker, I always imagine at four o'clock in the morning, he doesn't go straight home. 
And then he knocks on Daredevil's door and he sits down to have a Red Bull to discuss the night with him. You know, I can't believe this day happened to me because he has to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. And maybe I just empathize for Peter Parker a little more than I should. But I would love to see that moment, Mm -hmm. you know? Sure. Well, you know, the two of them have a lot in common. So it makes sense for them. It's funny they drink Red Bull. Both their costumes are pretty red. So it's a good choice (laughs) for that. Now, now I want to remind people again, before Thursday, you need to get to your store or either call them or when you're going to get your books, make sure to tell them that you want to order Scary Fails from Big City Comics. And be sure they get that in because you want to get the orders in. If you want to get your copy, you're going to have to do that. And, yeah, unfortunately, you, sometimes if you want to get quality stuff, you have to work at it. And I always think that's a good thing to get there and get your stuff. So I want to make sure you do that. I want to ask a little bit about something that some folks will consider inside baseball stuff, a little more industry focus. So if we lose a couple people, I won't worry about it because we've made the point to get that taken care of for Scary Fails. You went back to doing your own company again to do, as a distributor kind of a setup do you want to talk a little bit about the process of that because i remember you were under xenoscope you were under other different companies and I'm, as i remember you were saying at one point you didn't want to go back to that but yet you did do you, do you want to talk about that a little bit see people don't understand what it takes to make a comic book and i do lots of panels on these mm-hmm. and it's really simple you put the right team together you produce the book you're finished with it you get the whole thing in a pdf and you send it to the printer mm-hmm. now when you work for somebody else They do the part about sending it to the printer. They do the part about doing the diamond ad. They do the part about the marketing. The only problem is is that if you're like me and let's say somebody else does my book, they don't really care as much about it as I do. They don't have the great love for it as I do. And while I've been fortunate to work with some great publishers, they can't possibly care as much as I do. And over the last seven years, I went from when I was a first publisher, everyone did everything for me. I had people who they put it together. They did the editing. They ordered the printing. They did the ads. They did it all. And over the last eight years, I had to learn every piece of this process and do it on my own. And then I realized sometime around eight months ago that the only thing I wasn't doing was putting the ad in Diamond and basically making sure the printer sent the stuff out. And then I thought about it. I said, well, you know what? I really do care about the big city comics brand. I mean, we're more than a producer. We really love this stuff. And I think that the people who normally come in contact with us did know that that was a big city book. If it was at this publisher or that publisher, it was just another piece of what they were publishing. And I think it was important for me to stand behind my product and not just say, okay, I'm going to give it to them and let them do what they will with it. It was a responsibility that I wanted to take over. Mm -hmm. And the idea of not being responsible and blaming like whatever I wanted to blame, whether it was bad sales or something else on somebody else, that was really unfair. If I want the sales, then I better put myself out there and make it happen. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate because of Steve Jeppe and Josh Jeppe and Jim Brown and a lot of people helped make this possible. I call them my ambassadors of Quan. I don't know if you remember Jerry Maguire, where Mm -hmm. Cuba Gooding Jr. at the end goes, Jerry, I'm forgetting somebody. Jerry Maguire, my agent, you're my ambassador of Guan. (laughs) Meaning that he made it possible for all these great things in his life to happen. Mm -hmm. And like I said, Josh Jeppe, Steve Jeppe, a lot of the people at Diamond, after reading what I gave them, were like, okay, we'll give you that shot. Again, they didn't have to. Mm -hmm. I mean, after I burned in so miserably the first time, it's nice to think that Time does heal some of this stuff. It doesn't heal everything, but it heals a lot. Well, if you're already doing the work, why don't you get the chance to control? Because honestly, if it's your product and somebody else might not have the same feeling towards it the way you do. So that's kind of why what you're doing, I think, is a, a great thing. Because what you're doing is you're making sure your product gets out there the way you want it to the people who want to get it. And I, gosh, I, I wish more people could do those kinds of things you're in a very enviable position there well it's interesting i've gotten to watch some people in this industry and whether it be kevin eastman or todd mcfarland when i see them on the floor at conventions helping set up their own stuff sitting there talking with people hour after hour to hour and it's because they have a love for it the same way i do i mean the people who work with me sometimes say jeff if you spent less time talking to people you could sell more books i don't know I think I'm probably standing at conventions to give more than I take. Mm-hmm. And that's just something I always believed in. I always hated to meet people I respected and 
to be disappointed because they weren't who I thought they were. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that most people, when they have an opportunity to talk to me at a show, while I do appreciate my books and it's so nice to hear people talk about great things about them, mm-hmm. I think the most important thing I can do is actually entertain people and give people something more and a memory of that convention, a great moment where they can say, wow, I had so much fun at that booth in comparison to, wow, that was kind of sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had those moments in the past with my idols mm-hmm. where you meet them and you just are so disappointed. And I'm not saying I'm somebody's idol, but if somebody loves the book and they, wow, I want to tell this guy, I want him to sign my book, which it, it does happen. Mm-hmm. And but so nice to know that when they leave me, they're not going to feel like I care less than the characters I write when they read me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, Wayne? Right. I just, oh, yeah. Well, see, you've seen me at shows. Oh, it's yeah. amateur night at the improv. I mean, between the cage and all my other nonsense. Yeah, I remember you know, the cage. I was just thinking about that. I remember I didn't see that at Tampa. I don't think you had the cage at Tampa. Oh, yeah. You didn't notice. We had four people in the cage. You had, oh. you had four cosplayers for two hours. Oh, <laughs> wow. I didn't see that. Oh, man. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's but, so, but see, the thing of it is, is that this is – they call it show business for a reason. You've got the business aspect of it, but you've also got the show aspect of it. So it's not like accounting or something like that. This is a, where you've got to sort of engage people on an intellectual level. Oh, I love it. I love every bit of it. I love meeting comic book people. Some people are a little tough on you. My people can be really tough. Mm-hmm. I'd say 1% of the people who are very tight about the way they feel about things sometimes. and They come up and they'll pick up your book and they'll read all 100 pages of it and then let it flop on the table and walk away. Hmm. And that happens to me at least once a convention. And anybody who's sitting around there goes, what What the hell did he just do? I said, listen, I can't control the conflict that people are walking around with. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen enough to make me crazy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I can understand how people, they live in their own world and you know, they'll do what they want to do. Well, personally, I'm engaged by the stories that you tell. You make people, I I think that was a really important point to make that you see these people as real because when we read the books, we get into them as real as well. And I always come away thinking, you know, gosh, this was like a, uh, it was like a TV show on some levels. But on the other hand, it was like watching something real take place in front of me. So it's a a cool thing because I, I really do believe, I mean, I've said this before. But there are times in my life that have been really tough, whether it was in the military or when I was younger. I'm not building a backstory, but there was about three months that I was on the street. And then I joined the Army in my junior year of high school. And, you know, I was this kid in the military and I was lost. I mean, I, I think of all the places that I was lonely, I was sick, I, was, I felt overwhelmed. And I had Spider Man mm-hmm. on book day. I had Spider-Man. I'd go into the Pizza Hut and I'd read the 14 books and for two hours, I wasn't part of my own life. And that is such an amazing thing to be able to do for other people. And I think if you do it right, when people come up to you later and goes, hey, God, you made my life better. You know that thing about autism that you did in Angel Falling? That touched me so much in the forward. I guess I'll do it as long as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as people keep reading, you know, I'm going to keep fighting for that. I, I hope I never lose why I do this. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it used to be people would stand up and tell stories and have puppet shows or all kinds of other things. People would do storytelling if they were really good at it. Well, then people would pay or kings would hire them to tell stories that they wanted told and stuff. So now we've reached the era where it's a visual medium where you can t- buy a comic book and I always like to talk about the Frank Miller story where he picked up his first Batman book and he said he fell in. You know, I always love that as a great description about reading a comic. And I, if you can engage people where they're drawn into the world you're creating, even for a short while, I think it's a wonderful thing. The one thing I love about good comic book people is we can sit down and have these fantastic conversations about characters, and we do consider them real. Mm-hmm. We do consider, oh, how dare you change that origin, or how dare you take that power away, or he's a woman now? What? We change his sexuality? I mean, these are two-dimensional things, but they exist in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And I think that really occurs in comic books and no other medium, because I know people who have been reading their whole lives, and who follows a character or a book series their whole lives? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing about comic books. Mm -hmm. We can read these things from 14 to the day we die. Mm -hmm. And it's such an amazing area to be able to be part of. Mm -hmm. Now, Big City Comics, you've got up again now. Do you envision that you're going to be doing this for a long time to come? 
uh, might you get frustrated at some point and go back to the, the way it was? Or do you perceive this as being an extended process, uh, having big city comics go on? When people said, to be honest with you, and I always wonder when they say that because it's like, are you lying to me normally? Mm-hmm. Um, it's scary. That's the best way to put it. Choosing to publish on your own, I don't want to be crass, but you put your huevos out there and you go, okay, I'm here. Please love me. Please buy the books. Please do what you can do. I love doing this. And I envision doing this as long as the industry lets me. Would I write somebody else's book? I mean, there are a couple things, there are a couple dreams that I would have, some goals I have not reached. I would love to write The Shadow someday. I would love to write for Peter Parker and Bruce Wayne someday. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I really do love what I do. I love telling stories. I love when guys like you, who I have a great amount of respect for, say, Jeff, that book worked for me. And you're smart. You're not some guy who just throws stuff on a pile. Mm -hmm. So when you say stuff like that to me, it's like, okay, he understands what I'm trying to do. And I don't believe in being this avant-garde guy where I'm going to go, okay, here's a bunch of severed heads and cats running around with them. I don't want to shock you to shock you. I want you to see something and go, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. See, it's all yeah. about storytelling, the word that you used before. I think that if you're telling stories that engage people, it's the beginning, middle, end kind of thing. And this is one of the problems comic books suffer from these days, the fact that it can never end. You can never get to a concluding place because you're afraid people are going to drop off. But with your books, you mostly do a beginning, middle, and end. And that's kind of a fun thing. It's a great change of pace for someone like me who's read comics for as long as I have. Well, the idea I, – I don't want to drag a story out. I mean I like to run. That's the pace I love. I love to run. Even if it's a five-issue storyline, I want to run with you where you're going to get two, three seasons into one that would normally be a 15-issue something. I get it into five. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that – I wouldn't, but I, I think a lot of that happens is when you're writing five, six, seven books and you have to drag something out because whether you like it or not, you only have so much going on. Mm-hmm. And that's something I really love and support. And when you talk about stuff like that, I'm just going, yeah, I get it. I get it. I always wonder at the end when I'm done with a project, I don't have this great – when people go, oh, what do you do when you finish a project? I go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like, wow, now I can tell my next story. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I don't respect the story I just told. Mm-hmm. Those people were inside me, and now they're out. Mm-hmm. And I hope the people who read it loved what I loved about them. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a script for a fan film organization. It was based on Star Trek. And it had lived in my head for like two three years, and we finally got to writing it. And I wrote the script. I'll never forget when we wrote the last words. A bunch of us were sitting together doing it. I had a friend of mine who's a, a, a professional scriptwriter helping me with it. And when we got to the end, there was this weird rush that I felt that all this stuff was no longer inside me. It was down on the paper. Yeah, yeah. You feel like you did it. Mm-hmm. These people call to me, and I write them. But I remember what was funny is I just finished the third issue of Killing Mars. And there's a scene in there where one of the ladies tells – she's right about to go down this alley and kill a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And she says to him, she kind of throws off a colorful metaphor and says, get behind me. And Mars's last words are, I do some of my best work from behind. And I imagine if Jacob Mars had to leave the planet, that would be the perfect line he would leave with. (laughs) And I so much love a great line. Mm -hmm. I, I do. I love when you wrote something because I grew up in the John Hughes world where there were so many great breakfast club, pretty in pink. The Great Outdoors. I mean, so many of these great teenage movies, but were brilliantly crafted. But they had these lines that I still use today. And I hope that someday, somebody actually quoted me the other day when they were at my booth. Mm-hmm. And I remember they said it. And I go, wow, that sounds familiar. They go, you should. You wrote it. And I was laughing so hard because I was thinking, wow, that was a fun line. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, like you said, these characters exist. So when I write the line, Believe it or not, it doesn't feel like I wrote it. Mm-hmm. It feels like they said it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's funny to me. Mm-hmm. Go, wow, that guy said some really funny stuff. And I didn't realize that I actually, you know, in a way, I don't know whether it's a mental issue or whatever, but I get lost in who these people are. And it doesn't mean I wake up in the morning and I think I'm Jacob Mars. Mm-hmm. But when I write, they inhabit. That's the best way to pull it. They inhabit who I am. 
which is, which is really cool. You know, I, I mentioned I, I was working on a Star Trek script. So the thing that really scared me the most was the dialogue. You've got well-known characters. You know, the one that gave the most fear was Dr. McCoy. Was writing to be able to make it sound like him. I was so scared of that. And it turned out that we did some of the stuff that I really enjoyed. I Unfortunately, it's never seen the light of day, but it was great fun to do that. And imagine that's kind of the experience that you have, is you get into the people, you get to understand them and know them, and then they just kind of write themselves, sounds like. Yeah, I mean, that's the great part about it. When I'll do a panel, and it's, it's the same as a convention for me. I do normally panels alone, and I get up and I put on that free show for an hour. Mm-hmm. And if somebody walks out of that panel, I feel that was my fault. Mm-hmm. I don't feel they're insulting me. What I feel like is, God, I didn't give them what they really wanted. Hmm. And it's this strange, I don't know, is it, is it self-deprecation? I don't know. You know. It's a weird feeling that was insane. I mean, for example, at Dragon Con, I got Dragon Con in about three weeks. I do this celebrity match game panel. Hmm. And Gil Gerardo used to be Buck Rogers. Hmm. Puts a celebrity panel together and he sticks me on it. Hmm. And my job is to keep everyone in the room. Hmm. So I say the most awful, disgusting things possible, and people are hysterical, and it has grown from 50 people to now people camp out three hours to see it. And last time I was on the panel, and to my left was Sylvester McCoy from Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. which was amazing, Garrett Wong from Voyager, and John Behrman. Mm -hmm. And my dumbass is, I'm like, hey, it's Ray Al Ghul from Arrow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my guy at the booth goes, that's Captain Jack Harkness from Doctor Who, you idiot. I'm like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I'm more jazzed than he's an arrow. Mm-hmm. And it forced me to watch nine straight seasons of Doctor Who and three of Torchwood, which um, then I realized, oh, I get it now. OK, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I still can't stand the new doctor. I mean, well, the mm-hmm. old new doctor, mm-hmm. but eventually he'll die and they'll replace him. Uh, well, yeah, that's, it. That, that's one thing you can always guarantee. There will be a new doctor. The doctor's only last about three series, as they say over there, or three seasons, as we say. So he's probably only got about another series left in him before they switch off to somebody else. A lot of people don't get that, that you, me, all these people in the industry, we're fanboys too. Mm-hmm. We love this. We have our issues. I mean, when we finished Tampa, we put everything up in Tampa at 10 o'clock. By the time we had left, Justin and I go, okay, we got to get to Ybor City so we can see the 11.15 first showing of Suicide Squad. <laughs> and, you know, people can say what they want. I go, but it's so much fun to see these characters. Well, I don't like this character because he did this. Okay, I get it. But Harley Quinn was brilliant. <laughs> I mean, the woman who played her through the whole process, I bought her from beginning to end. Wow. And it's the geek in you. You know, we grabbed three slices of pizza and ran in there after setting up for six hours. Mm-hmm. And I think that if I ever lose that, mm-hmm. you ask me when I stop, mm-hmm. I think I'll stop when I don't care. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, i got one more question about the book here, and I want to talk about other projects you've got in the fires. Is Big City Comics going to basically all be written by Jeff Kaufman, or are you going to take other people's product on under your stuff? Well, the goal is this. I want to put out two books a month. Mm-hmm. I want to do two series a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep that under Big City. And that's – it's a tough call because I never want to dilute. I never want store owners not to be able to afford to buy our books. Mm-hmm. And I think the minute you start doing the cross-gen where you're doing two, three books and four books and five books and six books mm-hmm. – I can see myself doing a fill-in and going, okay, we're going to go four issues of maybe this book. But I really don't see us ever producing more than two books a month. So I can't imagine doing two books myself and then one book of somebody else. But that doesn't mean that maybe I give one series a rest for five months and do five issues of another story where we have another writer or artist work on that. That's something I hadn't really thought about because how can I put it? There's a certain amount of control that you have over what you put out. Mm-hmm. And whatever I put out, I want to make sure I believe in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't see a problem. I mean, I want to do a series called 9-11, mm-hmm. which I know will not make any money. Mm-hmm. I know will never be taken to the level. I know won't do anything, but I think it's important. It's basically what you think about. But it was a hero and a villain who had people in the towers when they came down. Mm-hmm. And they both switch. Basically who they are and it deals with how a villain is suffering and realizes he needs to change and a hero becomes dark and it takes us through our politics and everything else. The same thing that I think Watchmen had, but I think it deals with – see, I don't think I write like him. 
I'm not as how can I say it? I feel what I'm writing more than looking at the political aspects of things. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling about how I feel about 9/11 and the tragedy and how it affected different people. And I want to tell that story someday. And I have a feeling that by the end of next year, by the end of 2017, I'll probably tell it. Mm. Um, but like I said, there are stories in here that I want to tell. But that might be selfish. You might be right. Well, you know, you never know. But you've segued perfectly into what I was going to ask next. And since you've got that project going on, are there other irons in the fire that we should be looking for and looking forward to? Well, what we have right now is we have the first 10 issues of Scary Fails mm-hmm. taken care of. We have the first 10 issues of Killing Mars that we'll have completed by the end of the year. So we'll have two volumes of that going out. I think I'm going to fight to be able to do 9-11. Mm-hmm. Now, while I don't like to revisit old stories, you knew from Angel Falling how I feel about autism. Mm-hmm. and how I, I get asked so much to bring Connor Jacobs back as far as dealing with a character who's autistic but that people love and you don't feel bad for. Mm-hmm. I would love to visit him because he felt to me like those old Hulk television shows where he last time you see him is on the bus and he's driving away. Mm-hmm. And I think he was such a great character. The problem is is that, I mean, you know about Angel Fallen and how it has unbelievable similarities to The Blind Spot mm-hmm. and how I couldn't bring back that character. But I could bring back Connor Jacobs, which I wrote the book really about him. Mm-hmm. It just so happened she was, you know, she happened to be along for the ride. Mm-hmm. But I would love to revisit him. People asked me to bring Chip and Goro to do another children's book. But a lot of people don't understand that was a six-month project mm-hmm. because the artwork each took a week and a half to draw every single page. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of work on that. But I don't know. It's so funny being so far ahead. I wonder what the next story is. Uh, I mean, it, it might be about a guy who does a podcast who winds up killing people. Who knows? <laughs> we got to watch out for us <laughs> podcasters. We're mean and nasty folks. Gotta watch hey, out for hey, only when they give me bad reviews. <laughs> uh, well, Jeff, again, I want to say, get to your local store no later than Thursday to make sure you can put the order in for Scary Fails and watch your previews as they're coming out now because you've got something in the bees to look for and that's big city comics and you're going to want to order the books that are coming out from them we're regular so be sure to do that and jeff is you're on facebook aren't you and you, you yeah website yeah, and big stuff. city comics and i and i basically i'm pretty good with social media i like to get back to people i like to do fun things i like to inform people so they can go to facebook.com slash big city comics and if, if they want to also tag me through there, if they have this great love for the insanity I write, I think I have about 400 spaces left on my personal page. Hmm. Uh, and worst comes to worst, I'll have to delete the 713 year old Asian girls who like Terminal Alice, <laughs> which my, my wife still doesn't understand that. I, I said, well, I, don't, I don't quite understand it either, but I think they love that book. <laughs> they never say anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of glad because it would kind of be skeevy to be dealing with 13-year-old girls. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I do want to say one thing before we go. It's very important. I talk to people so much at conventions. They always come up to me and they always say, how do I do it? And the best advice I can give, don't be afraid to fail. I can promise you your first work is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. But your second work is going to be less terrible. Mm-hmm. Your third will even be less terrible than that. And I think by the time you do your sixth or seventh project, you'll understand the rules. And if you really still want to be here, you'll keep going on. And worst case scenario, you won't ask what if. You won't sit around and go, oh, God, I wish I would have done that. Because the best things in my life have been failures where I tried something. For example, like being a sports agent. And I three years, I found out there is no Jerry Maguire. But I don't have any regrets about not doing it. So I think if you want to write a comic book or you want to write something, know your ending and take your shot. The worst thing that can happen is you do something that doesn't work. Best scenario happens, you get to live your dream. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to agree with that because when I first did this podcast, the very first episode I ever did – like about five years ago now, was me talking for about 20, 25 minutes. And it was so bad that I never have been alone on the podcast ever since. I'm always talking to somebody else because I think that's a lot more interesting than me just John. 
So I agree with that. But I wanted to get the first one done. See, the, the thing I wanted to do was get it out there and get it, knowing the process and doing things. So I just did that, and I just sat down and said, one day, okay, I'm going to talk about comics for about 20, 25 minutes, and we'll get it going from there. And I haven't looked back. It's about uh, oh, heading for 250 right now. So, but when you do that and you find out what works and what doesn't, you adjust to that. And I'm sure that's a process you've gone through too. Well, you get better at it. You get better at it all. The only way to get better is to fail and do more. And that's what people don't understand. Somebody slid in a copy of a book, my first book, at this convention, and I was giggling when I saw it. And I looked at it. He goes, oh, I love this. I said, oh, you're the one. <laughs> And it was so funny because I didn't even want to look at what I wrote on the first page mm. or how I plotted it or how I had like eight panels on one page or mm. some nonsense like that. But if you don't fail, you don't learn. Mm-hmm. So true. And Jeff, in my opinion, you haven't failed in a long, long time. I've been enjoying your stories, your books, all your, your scripts, your characters for quite a long time. So, man, keep it up. And we'll have to talk again sometime soon. It's been a little while since the last time we talked. And I'm glad whenever we get the chance to do that. Hey, I always like people who care, who fight, and who try to go out to live for their dream. And I've been following you for years. And I just look over and go, hey, listen, you know, I love this guy. And that's a great thing. And hopefully you'll enjoy the last books you picked up. If you don't, you know where you could call me. <laughs> well, I doubt that's going to happen. But anyway, it's great stuff. Keep it up. And man, can't wait to get other good things. Can't wait till I can get a monthly dose of Jeff Kaufman writing in my reading diet. So can't wait for that. Hey, it's a pleasure. And for everyone who buys the books, hey, I can't thank you enough. You make it possible for me to keep fighting for this. So thank you. need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne as a man from flesh and blood I can be ignored I can be destroyed but as a symbol get the latest from the comics universe news interviews previews and reviews listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics that's a wrap for this week's episode be back next week when there'll be plenty more to talk about in the comics universes but until then keep reading your comics Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.